Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra spectacular, fully curricular episode of Normandy FM. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? Vibing at all times. Vibing, living. It is the freaking weekend when we, when we are recording this. I, 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 I Ken. Mm-hmm. Look, we we gotta start this off. We gotta start this off with uh, maybe addressing last week. You know, Paragon lost. I think I might have been too hard on it, Ken. Really? I say that because I've now seen Dragon Age: Dawn of the Seeker <laughs> <laughs> and understand that there is a um, there there are depths below where I thought this could go. Um, hmm. For you know, for the folks at home who may not have been keeping up, we're doing kind of some interstitial episodes between our two large uh seasons that we have planned right now uh for going from jade empire into the last of us uh where we're going back and hitting some of the extra media that was uh made about the mass effect and dragon age franchises mostly mass effect but uh this week is the dragon age uh one and is dawn of the seeker which is an extra I guess you'd say anime movie. It's really mm-hmm. more animated, but with some anime style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it so it's about Cassandra, and it takes place uh, according to the Dragon Age wiki uh, in 922 Dragon, uh, which is very early on in Cassandra's career. And I can mm-hmm. i don't why there, there's so much of this movie that it, it's it says it was made in collaboration with bioware and stuff but just feels so not dragon age and so like mm. even the parts they're supposed to be referencing dragon age feel like they don't understand the source material at mm. all like I am honestly surprised to know that Bioware had any hand in participating in this. And I've seen mm. I've seen a lot of movie adaptations of video games. Okay, and some of them go way bonkers with it, and sometimes it works. You know, you look at like the animated Street Fighter movies are very good. Um Street Fighter 2, the animated movie and um Street Fighter Alpha, very good. Uh Street Fighter the with the legend of chun li i believe is what it's called the the most recent live action one uh astonishingly bad because it <laughs> feels like it doesn't understand the source material at all uh this is somewhere in the middle i'm not going to say it's the worst thing i've ever watched but just it felt like it was dragon age and set dressing only um mm. how did you feel about it so I was surprised when you were messaging me before we started, like, you know, before, because uh, you watched it before I did, and, like, I was surprised to see you had, like, such a visceral reaction to it, because I gotta say, I was emotionally flatlined for maybe 80% of this movie, like, did not feel a speck of emotion or interest or even, like, outward outwardly negative feelings. It just kind of, like, I was watching a thing be played in front of me, um, which is in itself surprising, because, like... We've been, I mean, over the course of the show, like, we talk about Cassandra's, like, one of our favorite characters, like, between mm-hmm. the two of us, like, big fans of her. Um, which was yeah, one it would have been great like, if she was in this movie. So uh, it's weird that she's not. It's, like, a different character with the same name. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, and, I, like, I would have thought that would have at least given me, like, 
an emotional core to like be invested in, like more so than Paragon Lost, because like even fight the fact that I don't I don't loathe James Vega, I do not care about him in the same way I do Cassandra. So I was just like I was going in like not wholly on board, but at least maybe not as uh, pessimistic as I knew, because like knowing things about Paragon Lost at a time, uh colored how I was walking into it in the first place. Whereas I told you, uh, I think it was the end of last bio bit, like I somehow the entire, I mean, granted, like the fact that I'm talk, talking now and realizing just how much or like how little of this movie actually resonated with me that I only remember like the last like minute of this movie before makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. now. Because um, I ultimately like, it felt very, like it felt like a very generic fantasy story, but I also think that like when it, we, <sighs> This movie deals with a lot of the stuff that can come off very generic in the Dragon Age universe, and like without like getting into sort of like the uh, the deeper lore and like values of a lot of this world, uh, Templars and mages. Like that does not sound. Uh, those are not the most. Um, I don't know. Like, like those are like major pillars. They're not. The, they're not that original. Like it's right. You know, it's a different way of saying paladins and sorcerers, right? Like right. It's, so. Uh, so for the majority of the movie, like I just kind of like felt nothing, like it's this thing that was playing out in front of me. Then there is like a very like a sort of twist point, kind of like near the end, where the grander picture of everything's happening is opened up, and that's when I started to have an emotional reaction that was generally more negative about this movie, and in a way that I think makes sense for its place in the timeline of these games. That like it feels very much mm-hmm. like we're gonna really double down on the status quo of this universe and be uncritical of the systems we have in place and how they could be, uh, you know, playing a part in, like, a oppressive uh, mm. narrative. And I don't think that, like, this movie reckons with any of that. And, like, there's... Like, for all the posturing that it has, like, a mul- there's multiple times where a character tells Cassandra, hate only breeds more hate. Um, mm-hmm. She uh, still hated mages when I met her in Inquisition, so I don't know what the fuck, like... I don't, like, I don't feel like there is, there is a step... That is re- that is actually uh, recognized in the games by the time we get there, um, mm. so I don't know. Like I, just, I, I did not have like the wholly negative reaction that you did, but I did not have much of a reaction throughout most of the movie, which is maybe a worse thing to have, like to not feel anything while you're watching maybe like an hour of an hour and a half long movie. I think most of my frustration comes from two specific points, which are that a um this does feel like it could be done in any fantasy setting and it Mm. feels like they don't really use the world of dragon age and also in some points like frankly go over the top with it in a way that feels like too much like they they don't understand what they're really doing with it um and, and there are very specific points that i'm going to get to don't worry that seem to just circumvent the laws of dragon Mm -hmm. age completely Mm -hmm. or the setting of dragon age in order to do whatever they thought would be like cool to do i think you and i think of the exact same moment yep yeah oh (laughs) i really hope we are mind melding right now because (laughs) it is it's one that i was sitting there and i was like you are goddamn kidding me but Mm. (laughs) um that's uh the other part is that i feel I'm trying to find the right way to articulate this. I I just don't feel like this, beyond just having little reverence for what this universe and setting is, I feel like it just doesn't care about its characters. Mm. Um, 
And that was really highlighted by the fact that I had to open this wiki to know what the name of the Lord Seeker was or the name of the Night Commander. Because it feels like that information, if it was in the movie anywhere, came up once. And then every time after that, they were like, oh, it was the Night Commander. It was the Lord Seeker. Mm. It was the Grand Cleric. And it just felt like this muddy, just mushy mess of a story. And to the point that like even Cassandra has no character in this movie. Like, her whole persona is just tough girl whom swings blade, and she's, like, a Buffy type, you know, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type, but without anything to really develop her character outside of she saw her brother die, and Mm. it... I'm betting if you like tallied up the number of speaking lines in this movie, it's like regalian at the top and then a bunch of the other characters like the grand cleric and stuff like that. Like I feel Cassandra barely talked in this movie, which is really weird. Um, But uh, we will get to all that Uh, for, for those we'll, we'll try and do like general recap. I imagine we're probably going to want to talk more at length about certain choices in this one uh, as opposed to the Paragon Lost because Paragon like Paragon Lost was interesting to look at as just a character study of, of Vega and all that and, and what they what they tried to accomplish there but here it feels like we're just going to be <laughs> talking about all the weird shit that gets pulled <laughs> and also the plot of this movie is not really like it's pretty easily summed up on like an index card it's not I felt like not a lot happened in this movie at, at mm. the end of the day. Um, the, the happenings of this movie are all like very, very much backloaded. Yeah. Well, and it's all very... The whole, the whole plot happens like to the 20 minutes of the end. Yeah. It's it's like maybe 10 to 20 minutes worth of plot that takes place in about three different locations. And that's about it. Um, and I don't feel like it justifies that. Um, but we open on this blood mage ritual that's going on uh some mages have captured a high dragon which by the way ken just gonna float this one now the number of dragons that are captured in this movie is very alarming to me Mm. uh because not only are these dragons just apparently being held down with just you know some chains and stuff but one of them we see later on at the very end of the movie breathes fire and somehow it was just not doing that to the mages that were holding the chains earlier i had so many questions about how they managed to pull (laughs) half this shit off but the logistics are just the the tip of the iceberg here Mm. (laughs) um but there is a uh blood mage ritual going on uh our bad guy just the goofiest looking zombie dude you ever seen uh named frenic is trying to force feed a young elven mage who we later learned is named Avexis, um the blood of a dragon as part of a ceremony um meanwhile off in the distance the seekers arrive uh aboard their horses and uh set in to stop it and we get this big fight scene where we are also introduced to cassandra cassandra pentagast of course our main character who has long hair in this movie um which i guess she kept it long but also interestingly enough fights in a skirt don't know where that came in ken i gotta be honest with you because it becomes plot critical much later but i was like huh cassandra has a skirt in this movie that's really weird um 
we meet Cassandra and her mentor Byron. Uh, they charge in, they rescue Avexus, but Frenic escapes. Uh, just from the outset in this battle scene, I was thinking a lot about Dragon Age 2 because of the way this battle scene was definitely like, you know, let's blow up and throw mm. blood everywhere. And also magic in this movie in general looks kind of goofy. Mm. Like, it's just all kind of magic missiles. Right. <laughs> Generally, like, the aesthetic of the movie feels... Like, it does feel very much Dragon Age 2, but also that means that it was still the point where I don't feel like the actual aesthetic of the Dragon Age universe was nailed down the way it was, feels by, like, Inquisition. Like, short of, I guess, the Templar and Seeker outfits, like, nothing else really mm-hmm. feels identifiable as Dragon Age. And, like, in terms of, like, the, like, the mage robes and uh, just, like, the architecture, like, this... Like, this, like, like you said, it's kind of this muddy glop of, like, fancy that doesn't really speak to anything specifically Dragon Age, which might also say something about Dragon Age's identity crisis, which we oh, over, of course over the of years. Course. But. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree with you that at all, but um, this this whole intro battle sequence was just very strange to me, and then we, we go back and uh, we have a little scene where, in the Grand Cathedral, Cassandra and Byron uh, go with the Lord Seeker to talk to the divine so at this point in time is divine beatrix the third um the various grand clerics are gathered there's a whole court scene where they are explaining what happened uh cassandra had killed a dragon there and obviously her family lineage is is of dragon slaying and stuff like that so she's commended from it for it um the first enchanter of the circle is like oh cool you brought our mage back Avexus was one of our mages she was stolen away um is is this specifically the point where they mentioned that her like specialty or whatever is communing with beasts or or is that later i can't remember mm, i think it wouldn't have been now because they would have uh because like they don't know what the plan is at this point so i didn't uh, uh at, at some point well we're just going to mention that now because I can't remember when it actually comes up in the movie, but her specialty is that she communes with wildlife. She is able to speak with and control wildlife. So put a pin in that. Maybe if you're an attentive viewer, you might understand what, what that ritual (laughs) was supposed to do. Um, anyways, uh, the Lord Seeker doesn't want Avexis to go back to the circle, uh, saying, you know, there's still a lot we don't know, we don't understand what was going on, we, we, we're gonna keep custody of her for now. Then the Night Commander shows up and is like, uh, I can't believe you did all that stuff without telling the Templars, the Templars could have helped you out, and, you know, obviously we start to understand the tension that the movie kind of established at the beginning, which is, um, the Mage Templar feuds uh fighting each other and such and and the seekers are kind of supposed to be like the the ones that watch over both the templars and the mages i feel like that's always been a gray area and at least here in a relay where we are um they are supposed to be that force but you can tell there's some tension between the lord seeker and the knight commander um Anyways, we <laughs> we go we go back to C- Cassandra's room. Uh, she has a bad nightmare about somebody getting stabbed by a mage. She wake, wakes up and notices Byron uh, running off with Avexis uh, after he had taken out two guards. Uh, Cassandra wants to know what's up, and uh, he pretty soon realizes he's got to take her with him and kind of evolve her. 
he's basically like, look, there's something going on. We don't know what it is. And he suspects everyone. Like, Byron suspects everybody from the, like, Seekers up to the Lord Seeker up to maybe even the Chantry. And so he's trying to get Avexis out of the dungeon where she could be just stolen away again and put her in a safe house with somebody that they're going to meet. Before before that can happen, uh, a bunch of blood mages find them. During the ensuing battle, uh, Cassandra is put in a dangerous position and Byron basically sacrifices himself to save Cassandra, uh, dies in the process. Uh, and then Regalian shows up, our, our second character, our second main character, uh, Regalian de, de Marcal, I think. Uh, every, he goes by Galleon for most of the movie. Um, a circle mage who has been working with Byron to get him info. We learn later on that uh, Galleon was the one who got him the info about the blood mage ritual in the first place and stuff like that. They were going to a safe house. Uh, Seekers show up. Actually, is it Seekers or Templars? I suddenly... Yeah, it was Seekers. Um, Seekers find them, uh, put them in some bindings uh galleon basically says we got to get avexis back i can help you find where she is if you like you know get us out of here so cassandra and galleon stage and escape make off into the the night searching for avexis and the blood mages (sighs) ken Mm -hmm. at this point i want to address something that's a little bit different about this movie than i was expecting what's that Circle mages are just doing shit, man. Yeah. They're just living. They're like in the world. Is like that was and I know that Ferelden and Orlay uh are are kind of different from each other in how they treat mages and and like we have kind of circle towers in some places, but in Orlay, you know, mages are kind of free to do whatever they want like we saw with Viv in in Dragon Age Inquisition, but it was a little weird to see the circle be more like this more like a faction and let or or like Mm. a banner and not like oh no this is an actual place where the mages are being held right it it never really even went into like is that just kind of like a living space for them that's where they like stay and go from but they're free to move about the general Mm. populace as they want um i mean they do i mean well granted they they i think they thought he was a blood mage at this point when they were like uh, capturing them both, so maybe yes. it's, it's not a matter of like, oh, he was being captured because he was a mage, but just captured because he, they thought he was part of crimes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, and we even go like later, like apparently these mages were like constantly gathering in a place to like talk, like exchange information, and yes, hmm. yeah. So in the in the next scene we have, they go to a safe house where uh, Galleon was supposed to meet other like circle mage informants slash spies all of whom are just kind of roaming around and they have like safe houses and stuff like that which is bonkers but he discovers that they've all been killed and they realize that this means that the uh blood mages are one step ahead of them and they need to go to their to the circle mages informants uh who is uh kind of a recluse that they have to go find uh also at this point uh the knight commander has been allowed to dispatch his Templars to hunt down uh, Cassandra and Regalian. Uh, High Seeker Aldrin also dispatches the Seekers, 
and we also get a hint that the mages are on the lookout for them as well. Basically, everybody is now looking for Cassandra and Regalian. They believe that Cassandra stole off with the Vexus and is working with the blood mages is like a traitor. We have the tension, the tension mm. of the story. <laughs> um, they are our, our two heroes depart for lazaros the the recluse that they are going to get information from and i i guess it stands to mention that like at this point they're kind of using some of the traveling in between to do some exposition about the characters you know regalian has a lot of oh you know we're i'm a circle mage but you know i don't Mm. like those blood mages and and he's talking about how actually the mages are like spying on blood mages because they think the blood mages give them bad rap Mm -hmm. and they kind of go into some of the stuff from dragon age inquisition of like not all mages hate the circle some mages are cool with the circle so um what what did you kind of think of some of that stuff the way they frame regalian and kind of the pro circle mage stance that he has it's um i in a larger drag, like context of the Dragon Age universe, I think it's like it just because like that was even before Inquisition, where like mm-hmm. before before we met Vivienne, who had like this more uh, critical uh, ideas about completely liberating the mages, and so like even then that was you know it, it was different from the, the narrative the Dragon Age two would put forth, but it also like doesn't really go anywhere in this movie. Um, and I think what was just kind of more obvious to me at that point was that. They were clear, like, what What do you think about these two's relationship, like, specifically? Forced is the yeah. first word that comes to mind. <laughs> it's like, uh, people, like, two heterosexual individuals sitting next to each other for a long period of time. It was especially, because, like, I don't, like, they're supposed to be, like, these two, like, polar opposites, both in, like, ideology and just, like, personalities. So, like, I, opposite, opposites attract dynamic they're going here for. But also just, like, I just don't buy that either of these characters, like, by the end of this movie, had a, like, really meaningful uh, connection as, in terms of, like, personally. I think they like there's a lot to be said about them and how they might uh, go against each other's expectations of what their factions are. But in terms of, like, an actual intimate, personal relationship, I didn't buy it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. And, like, they kind of, like, you know, they're throughout this whole thing, they're, like, sowing the seeds of it. Like, there's a scene where they're tussling on the ground because they're tied yep. together uh and like oh, like they to be on trip top. yeah yeah they trip and fall and regalian is on top of cassandra and she's like get off and they roll again and and suddenly cassandra's on top and you're like oh we'd like to be on top huh and it's like ugh. um mm-hmm. yeah something that, something that um well all that means that something that is worth bringing up that i actually did not catch on to because i mean like i said i completely forgot about the majority of the movie but if, in Inquisition, if you if like you're in a romance with Cassandra, she does mention him at some point. Like that is something that's brought up. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is my like romantic past. And I, and reading here, Cole apparently also like in in one of his like sort of like one of his banter's with Cassandra, like where he's reading into her head, just kind of like she uh, is thinking about him, like kind of reminiscing. But uh, something that is just not like I, I did not realize until I was looking at the wiki. Now he was apparently at the the, the conclave at the, at the Temple of Sacred Ashes when the beginning uh the beginning of that game oh and apparently died there and that was something that i did not realize until five minutes ago i did not know that either 
I and I romance Cassandra. I didn't even remember that. I knew that Regalian was mentioned in some way in her story, but I forgot what context it came up in. But mm. um, that's interesting. But like at the same time, it's it, it doesn't help that this version of Cassandra does not feel like Cassandra at all. It doesn't feel like a character <laughs> at all. Mm. Like if if it seems like we've kind of been skipping over some stuff, it's because most of most of the exposition we get in this movie outside of one scene that's that's going to be coming up pretty soon here is about other characters like we really don't learn a lot about cassandra other than her family is well known for killing dragons and at one point that put them at odds with some blood mages who wanted dragon blood for their rituals and the blood mages didn't like or they they didn't want to serve the blood mages they didn't want to kill drakes to give them uh the stuff for it so the blood mages massacred all of them and that those are the recurring nightmares that cassandra has and that's kind of it that's really like the extent of her character development is you know she hates mages and likes to fight and then you find out that she hates mages and likes to fight because she couldn't save her family so that's why something that just turned me out apparently this is like a lot earlier before Dragon Age Inquisition and then she realized they're just looking at the dates like apparently this was almost 20 years prior to Inquisition yes I was initially very confused because there's a line later in the movie where a character mentions Kirkwall and I was like wait did this happen after Dragon Age 2 like how does the timeline you know fill out there and then uh reading the wiki i realized that there was a reference to a separate kirkwall rebellion like a different one not the one that took place in dragon age 2 and that again like you want to talk about how this movie feels just so disconnected from dragon age that's kind of part of it is that it doesn't feel like there's a strong sense of when this is taking place or like how you know what's going on outside of this very specific situation in Orlais, like, and that's it, like, not even not even taking into account like, the way this movie ends implies the Inquisition is like, very, coming up pretty quick. So did she get a, that particular assignment, and then just not fucking do it for like ten years? We're we're gonna need to talk about that when we get. Yeah. To okay. It, but put a pen in that. All right. Just, um, because we gotta talk about what might be one of the it, it was the moment where i was like wow they really don't give a fuck about dragon yeah Age okay then i guess you and i are thinking the same thing yeah, yeah so a, they, yeah. they go to lazaro's which is this he's an elf dude that's hanging out he's a recluse living on the cliffs which i assume they just did because it looked dramatic um because there's really no story reason for it to happen here um at, once they they reach the top of the cliffs lazaro kind of attacks them with a knife uh he tries to pull out a magical flashbang grenade mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and regalian's like ha i'm going to explain what that is right now while we're fighting and then pocket it so i can you know so the audience knows what it does when i use it later it's very a obviously tool to use later yeah no literally they might as well have had like a big sticker on it that just said we'll come in handy in about 10 minutes uh so let's explain what it does right now um but after they have this fight, uh, Lazaro reveals that uh, the blood mages have already arrived, and this whole thing is basically an ambush. Uh, and 
Oh man. Uh, an ogre shows up. You know, a dark spawn. <laughs> Famously a, known for being servants of blood mages. Um, yeah. So one of them shows up through, and again, let, let's be clear here. We are in Orle. We we're kind of in a desert area, but there's not a lot of like, you know, it's not that far from a forest and like general population but there's just kind of a dark spawn ogre hanging out here and they they fight the ogre and kill it and then the house collapses and they come to at the bottom of the cliff and waiting for them is a giant army of dark spawn ogres and golems you know of the shale variety yeah all apparently being mind controlled though we don't see any mages here and just kind of sent to attack cassandra and regalian and look i mean number one where the fuck did these come from like <laughs> seriously where the fuck did these come from <laughs> i've got no answers for you friend you can't just like roll out enemies because they look cool and it would be cool to fight them and also like you establish how scary one ogre is and then in the ensuing fight cassandra is like slaying them left and right Mm. and also she's like chopping golems in half with her sword which makes very little sense what's the sword made of i uh, it's it is easily one of the most baffling choices in this movie is to just be like it's like somebody was literally looking at enemies that were in previous dragon age Mm. games it's like like, yeah that shit looks cool (laughs) let's put some of those in there sprinkle that shit in like oh god that was the point where i was like oh this movie is gonna be a journey (laughs) (laughs) it gets worse too (laughs) um but yeah, so during this fight, uh, Cassandra, who has not yet learned, in in her youth, she has not learned the virtue of pants yet, uh, gets nicked on the, the upper mm-hmm. inner thigh, uh, and they use the magical flashbang grenade to get out, which I also still don't understand, because he just kind of pops that thing, and then you see them like limping away into the forest way later, but they don't really show. They were surrounded. They, they were completely surrounded, and they, and also like even if they did manage to like kind of slip by the giant ogres and stuff, and not you know alert any of them to the fact that they were doing that, um, they weren't that far away from the cliffs. <laughs> like, oh. Uh... Mm uh anyways um i gotta open the wiki back up just remember where we are now um so they uh they they take off into the the forest where they then manage to run into the night commander and a bunch of templars who try to arrest them and they jump off a cliff into a ravine and have to hide out in a cave uh, where Regalian heals her her injury, and because it's on her upper inner thigh, there's there's a moment of intimacy. So there you go, Ken. Here's oh. your here's your intimacy. I found it. <laughs> um, you don't you don't need to establish an actual real emotional connection if you can touch the inside of the thigh. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's that's the secret. That's that's the secret, Ken. Um, Damn. <laughs> um, and and during this whole time, Cassandra tells Regalian the story about uh, the the Pentagas being slain uh by the blood mages and all that so they they have a moment of like oh you you have a heart and stuff oh wow um after this uh the the templars find the cave that they've been hiding out in but find it empty and so the the knight commander is like okay you guys keep looking run out of this cave real quick i'm just gonna hang out for a minute you just kind of vibe in this cave but you guys run off and go keep looking and once they leave, the Knight Commander pulls out a magic stone, which we had seen uh, earlier in the movie. Uh, Frenic had given his conspirator within the within Orlay like a secret magic stone that was like a telephone stone that they can use to communicate back and forth. And uh, he pulls it out and like whispers, he's like, "We're still looking for him." And then suddenly, Cassandra and uh regalian appear because they had been using a sick cloaking spell to wait to do a gotcha on the night commander which again i really gotta beg the question how did they know that they would need to do something like this like was their plan just kill the night commander and get away or like i don't know what their plan was or if they were going to evade and then cassandra just kind of jumped out and jumped in once she saw the stone come out. I don't know. My, my, I, I don't know. my reading had just been that, like, they planned to maybe just, like, hiding out until they realized there was an opportunity for them to have evidence of a crime, but that was just my charity but, read. But how would they know to suspect the Night Commander? Oh, I think they were just hiding generally. I, oh, look, Ken, I, I don't think there's much logic here with this. Um, anyways, we get into a little fight, a little scrap where uh the knight commander keeps kicking cassandra's injury real rude real rude uh and then regalian collapses the cave uh trapping regalian on the other side and cassandra uh grabs the uh special magic telephone stone and they run off with evidence that they can use to prove that it was the knight commander who's been organizing this terrible thing by the way I guess we probably should note that we kind of, at this point, know what the whole conspiracy is. Um, the The whole idea is that the Blood Mage Frenic is was capturing Avexis to mind control her, while also getting her to control the dragons that the Blood Mages have been corralling, and they will use the dragons to kill the Divine and the Grand Clerics and basically overthrow the Chantry um yeah that's that's about it also i don't know how dragon blood became this magic like do everything thing in the blood magic world because they're just it it seems like throughout this whole thing they're like oh yeah blood mages they just they mind control and they want to use dragon blood all the time dragon blood dragon blood and can't think of a blood mage that i've met before that that was like their thing that they were Mm -hmm. that that specific thing to me the source of my power yeah, I mean, they use, they use blood, but they were never really, like, picky about it, you know? Yeah. Just all blood works in a pinch, you know? Ugh. <laughs> mm. uh, can you believe that at this point, this is probably about an hour and ten minutes into the movie. This that's this is all that has happened in an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> I believe it. I, I experienced this movie. I believe that it took this long to get to this far. Uh, anyways... 
they they roll out Cassandra and Regalian roll out to to present the evidence. Uh, Regalian sends a little birdie message, you know, put a pin in that one, <laughs> and, uh, and then they go into a super secret, super duper secret tunnel uh, that leads all the way into the Lord Seeker's office, uh, the High Seeker's office. Uh, they explain it all to him, let him know. Which, by the way, I should probably mention. It seems like they were kind of setting up that the Lord Seeker might be evil. Yeah, like I, I, I had a moment where I was like, "Ah, oh, this is going well. I don't think this can last, right?" And it did not end up going well, but in a different in a, way than I thought it was going to happen. Because I, th- I totally thought he was about to turn coat. Totally. In a different, dumber way, mm. <laughs> but uh, there was there was totally a scene earlier in the movie where you see the Lord Seeker just like looking out the window, thinking about things, and they play like sinister music underneath it, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, they're setting him up to turn or whatever." But no, it turns out that he's a totally cool dude. He was like, Cassandra's out there taking care of stuff. She'll tell me what she's got when she needs to tell me. And here you are. You got me the telephone stone. Thank you so much. I'm going to go present this by myself to the divine and we'll wrap this whole thing up. And then he walks out and then walks back in because he got stabbed by the night commander uh, who just fucking magically got out of the cave in somehow and then caught up with them without a horse i should mention because they took the night commander's horse so not only did this dude manage to move a bunch of boulders and get out but also uh outpaced them on a horse in a secret tunnel's worth of travel to get there to stab the the high seeker (laughs) (sighs) oh man Mm. um anyways magic time travel aside um the night commander throw like he stabs stabs the high seeker is like oh cassandra isn't this your sword and tosses it to her and she's like yeah it is and he, he yells it. for the guards like and the guards come in and he's like look she stabbed the the, the high seeker mm. <laughs> it's oh god ken <laughs> and so they lock them up and this is where we get our big reveal um, that Catholic confession exists in the Dragon Age universe. Mm. <laughs> Making real strides of the lore here. Finally. Um, the Knight Commander, uh, after imprisoning these two, goes to the, the local chantry and sits in a confession booth, which we really need to stress here, Ken. I, I have played these games through multiple times. Mm. I don't remember any, nope, anything of like not even just the confession booth, but like the idea of confession being a right. part of following the the church and all that, right? Like, and because like that implies that there's like like the Christian idea of like washing away your sins when you ascend, mm-hmm. and that's like never been a thing in like at least not that I can think of. Like, no, if I end, um, huh? Yeah, yeah it, 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 yeah. it felt like they. That is something that they can... One of those two characters could communicate in secret, and two, like, something that they could... I don't know, like... But, but like, why not just have them meet in a room or something? Like, the, the I, I drama, think that allows them to the make it, like, a twist. The drama of the situation. Yeah, I think that allows yeah, them to make it a twist. Like, oh, the person... Because at first, like, you know, you, you assume... Like, granted, okay, I don't know shit about, like, how confessional works in terms of, like, the legality of things. Like, if you confess to like a crime i don't know what they are allowed to do if they are allowed to do anything 
Oh, so I my, think it's I mm. think it's the same as I think it's the same as if like if you confess something to a like a psychiatrist or therapist. I know if you confess a federal crime to a doctor or like a therapist or something, they have to report it. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. how it works. But um, yeah, I would I would assume this would fall under the same legality. Okay. Well, I, I don't know because I myself am not Catholic. So, uh, but but my feeling for the scene initially was that like. That, that was what I thought was happening. Was like, he actually, like, felt genuine remorse about a thing that he did. But then, like, you know, it actually turns out, oh, no, he's just telling the person that he's conspiring with. To... Oh, no, see, I, I was sitting there, like, they're really doing the whole thing where he goes and sits in the church and he's like, forgive me, I have sinned. Mm. I have done all these terrible things. And the person on the other side of the screen is like, good, what's next? And, like, that, it's, it's a trope. It's, it's, mm. it's a tired trope. It's... But, Ken, it's like, I, I always like to say, whenever you see a piece of fiction and someone, there's there's either, like, uh, Christmas, like, specifically the phrase Christmas, mm. or, like, a cross or something, that means canonically within that universe, uh, Jesus Christ existed at some point. Mm. <laughs> and it's a fun thing to think about. Um, in the same vein, like, yeah, now now we're dealing with tenets of catholicism within the orlay chantry um anyway I say, this was this was the point where like my emotional flatline started to like peak a little bit just because there was like an actual like conflict finally starting to like really show its face beyond like blood mages are bad templars are not mm-hmm. and you know that shit because like what we learn here is that a uh, glenn cleric uh callista i believe her name um just, she, she's basically just the grand cleric Right, she is trying to ascend to the divine, and the way to do that is if everyone like that's ahead of her in terms of uh, you know the hierarchy here is gone, she ascends to the, to that to the uh, that's what they call the sunburst throne. I think is what it's called in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and to that that was interesting in a way that like throughout the rest of the movie they're talking about they're talking about like bringing in a new era of the chantry and like. They don't ever really go into what that means, though. That's, like, you know, all they are... All it appears to be is that they are just, like, these extremists that want to, you know, rise to power. But generally the idea of the Dragon Age series has been that the Chantry is in desperate need of reform. And that Mm. is where my... This is where, like, my negative feelings about the movie started to form. Because, like, the rest of this movie is about maintaining the status quo of something that, like, we've seen since Inquisition. Cassandra starts to, like, really reckon with and start to fight back against. And that is... What makes her arc in Inquisition so effective is that, like, she's like, I have been blindly following this uh, ideology for my entire life, and now I'm having to, like, come to grips with the fact that maybe it wasn't all worth saving. Maybe it's not all worth preserving. And granted, like, you know, she had, like, to get to that point, she has to have this point in her life where she is, like, this radical, like, doesn't question anything. But it's just kind of, like, dispiriting to watch a movie that is, like, I guess it is mainly just after Inquisition. This movie feels even worse. Like, it just leaves a weird taste mm-hmm. in my mouth because that game is all about, like, tearing down the past and, like, the traditions and, like, understanding that things don't... Like, just because things have been this way does not mean that they have to continue to be that way. Um, mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. movie is just kind of, like, nothing changes for the universe in it, and that's, you know, that's fine in, in terms of, like, it being a complimentary side story. But in terms of, like, having to watch Cassandra be, like, the arbiter through which the world remains the same, <laughs> eh, doesn't feel great. I mean, 
I mean, really, this I th- I feel like the story ends up feeling more like Regalian's story about like trying to stop all this bad stuff from I, I don't even know like it Cassandra does not feel like the protagonist because really her sole thing is that she just wants to yeah like you said maintain the status quo and like make sure that none of these conspiracies actually happen and so her her motivating factor always seems to just be there's an enemy over there go kill it and mm. and it just results in this hero that feels incredibly flat and uh yeah and and like there is like also the issue of like the the repeated like hate can only breed more hate thing that's like yeah. a mantra to the rest of the movie but girl does not does not like mages by the end of this game like she may she might uh like her new friend but she does not like mages by the time we meet her in inquisition but like even when we eat her, we meet her in dragon age 2 like she's there trying to quiet the circle rebellion and well, they undercut it in this movie, even. So, like, as... Let's, let's get to that part so we can talk about that specifically. But, like, yeah. Um, they, they're they they're getting ready. The whole the whole thing that's happening here is there's a big 10-year gathering of the Chantry and, and all the faithful. And that's when the dragon attack is going to happen. And so, uh, as, the, as Cassandra and Regalian are... Uh, being brought out to be executed during the ceremony the dragons under the control of vexus who's under the control of frenic are uh flying in and getting ready to wreak all kinds of havoc uh right before uh cassandra and regalian are going to basically you know be uh, decapitated uh some mages from the circle hop in and help them you know disperse of the Templars, we get a little bit of a fight scene with uh, the Night Commander, where I, I, I swear to God, there's a thing at the beginning of this movie where uh, her mentor is teaching her how to like, you know, fight better and all that kind of stuff, and he does this thing where he like blocks with his sword, but then like strikes with his shield, mm. and he he's like, remember, you know, it's just sometimes your blade is your shield and your shield is your blade. Um, keep that in mind and i was like okay she's gonna use that here because that seems like you know basic writing 101 you establish something early on you use it again later um and no she just kind of does this sick matrix move where she like goes all the way limbo under a swipe of the sword while also flinging her sword back towards her body so that it cuts his arm off Mm. which looked kind of goofy (laughs) in action and then he's sitting there. Uh, nice the foreshadowing Dragon Age Inquisition. Yes. Yeah. Um, wait. What? No hand. No hand. Oh. Oh. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I was. I would. I would have made a Star Wars joke, but um, on a Dragon Age podcast. Well, yeah. You know, I got to do something to alienate you with my pop culture references mm. at some point during this podcast. <laughs> That's a um, They're garbage. <laughs> Um, but the the knight commander's sitting there, and Cassandra's like about to kill him, and then she's like, "Oh, hate only breeds more hate. You will answer for your crimes." And she starts like slowly walking away, and then he like throws some people off and grabs a blade and starts charging at her, and she does this like Naruto slash like Fist of the North Star 
spin around and basically like cuts his head off as he's charging at her and is like so you've chosen this <laughs> and, mm. and it was like okay cool so we have this big character moment where cassandra's like no i'm not going to just kill you even though you caused the death of my mentor and the death of all these people and stuff like that you're going to answer for your crimes the right way and then he's like no i'm gonna to try to stab you and she's like oh cool now i get to stab you like can so anyways yeah yeah so, so anyways, dragons are now attacking people. Though really, they're only ki- killing the the other grand clerics mm. who are... Oh, we forgot to mention one of the other parts that completely baffled me when I, when I was watching this. So the divine, before the dragons come, is like addressing the crowd from this really, really tall tower. And, you know, I know that if you speak from a high up place, you can kind of yell down and it'll be louder but they put like an amplification effect on her mm. voice that makes it sound like she's talking into a megaphone. Yeah, and, and that only work like that only really works if you are in a place that is like in close place as acoustics that things can bounce yes. off of. Yes. And they are in open space. So open air, completely open air. Like also Frenic is just like chilling on top of the ramparts with this small girl and I'm going where the hell are the rampart guards that are supposed mm. to be watching the wall like he's just standing there this dude has big arrest me on the spot energy <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> it's oh uh, anyways yeah so the dragons show up start slaughtering people um the grand cleric the, the bad grand cleric uh Callista, who's in on it um has <laughs> maybe one of my favorite moments of the entire movie where she's like oh no the dragons are coming we must have wronged the maker they're here to cleanse us of our sins and then she like ducks behind a pillar and is just watching people get murdered and she's like fucking got him <laughs> like, <laughs> that was maybe the most relatable thing i saw in this entire movie of her just being like oh no oh heavens oh the calamity <laughs> ah they're all dying <laughs> she was great I, w- I wish there had been more of that she is Hilarious. I wish she would. I wish we could have known what she fucking wanted for the chantry. Like that's the weird thing. It's like yeah, she is no, she like just wanted power. She's ultimately she like the throne, the mastermind of the whole thing, and just like yeah, she talks like you know her and all her fucking lackeys are like we're gonna bring in a new a new era of the chantry. It's like what do you want? I need to know. Like maybe I can well, like like the I, most I could surmise out of it is the night commander has a line where he's talking about Kirkwall when they're fighting uh, during the attempted. Uh, execution turned into battle earlier and uh, he he mentions the Kirkwall Rebellion not not the Dragon Age 2 one a different one that took place and I think it was uh, two, 219 um, or no different number um, 921 Dragon which was the uh, it, it refers us to Perrin Threnhold which as I'm assuming is like another additional thing that happened in the larger canon of dragon age but a different kirkwall rebellion from the one that we know in dragon age 2 but basically he's he's like he wants kind of a more authoritarian presence of the templar and like a more controlled circle and that's about all i could really get but that was just from him the grand cleric like callista has maybe i don't know 20 spoken lines of dialogue in this movie and like 
17 of them are just being like yes divine i agree with your judgment and things like that so uh, yeah again characterization extremely flat in this movie um anyways cassandra just kind of takes off and starts killing dragons in a way that really makes it seem like anyone should be able to kill dragons because they're kind of all falling for the same thing over and over again which is she jumps on their back climbs their scales pulls out the dagger she has in her thigh holster and then stabs them between the scales on their neck and then they die and then she does it again and she does this to like three dragons <laughs> over the course of this battle sequence mm-hmm. um meanwhile the mages are going to attack uh frenic and try and save a vexus eventually they get a vexus away from frenic uh getting rid of the control he has of the beasts uh Callista gets injured during this whole thing uh like limps over to frenic and is like hey help me please oh also by the way all of this um cassandra like uses a dragon to sideswipe the high dragon that mm-hmm. has shown up uh to stop it from killing the divine and saves the divine so she doesn't get assassinated uh but then they're all confronting frenic uh and when Callista is like help me frenic he just like kills her and uses that blood and power to turn into a pride demon and is like guess what i knew that everyone was going to double cross me but i didn't give a shit because i just wanted to kill everyone here making frenic maybe the most well-rounded character in this movie (laughs) (laughs) he look he he just wanted to kill a bunch of people in the chantry and you know what he got it done good job even though the dragons don't seem to be killing a lot of bystanders they really the dragons are really bad at killing people in this movie i I gotta be honest um but uh he turns into a pride demon there's like a big fight between him and cassandra and all the mages that have gathered and stuff and then a vexus controls the high dragon and they get into like a kaiju fight because the pride demon is really really big for some reason and they're they're all fighting and then cassandra does this really dramatic jump off the top of the ramparts to stab through the pride demon and kills him and is like for the chantry and everybody cheers and and that's the end and and we have now concluded the main conflict of the story cassandra just stabbed everybody and that was the end of it (laughs) that's way to solve your problems it's the I mean, I joke, but, like, she did solve her problems doing that. Yeah, like, and then then we get kind of, like, an epilogue where they do the awards ceremony scene from Star Wars Episode Four, where they they walk out. By the way, Cassandra kisses Regalian on the cheek, so I guess... Two heterosexuals in a room, they gotta kiss in some way. And and then Avexis shows up and, like, holds hands between them, so I was like, oh, cool, we're forming the nuclear family unit already. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) this child um, would not speak this entire film yeah and has no reason to like either of these characters either beyond saving her yeah maybe regalian but to to suddenly be like oh my new mommy and daddy like that's uh, (laughs) um and and they get they get awarded regalian gets commended for being a good mage ugh <laughs> and um cassandra becomes the hero of orlay and the right hand of the divine 
the divine later finds her when she's praying uh, in a chantry. Is like, hey, this is just the beginning. We've got more stuff that we got to do. Hands her a tome with the seeker symbol on it that is the same tome that we see her using in like you know in Dragon Age Two and in Inquisition and all that. And that's the end. That was the movie. Yay! Oh my God, Ken, it was really bad. <laughs> so, like to to pick at one of the pens that we put up earlier. So this movie takes place like over a decade before Inquisition. Yes. Did it take her that long? Like, has she had the assignment to form the Inquisition that long? And she just fucking... I... Well, and this was a different Divine, too. Because that was Divine... Yeah! This is Divine Beatrix. Yeah, because Justinia was the one that authorized the Inquisition. Yes. So I think that tome that she gets handed is just like... It's supposed to be a wink and a nod to the audience, but I don't think it's supposed to actually mean anything. Hmm. Okay. That was that was my takeaway from it because I went looking that up too, and I was like, "What the what the hell was going on there? Is that supposed to be like a tease?" And no, it just kind of seems like she got handed a book, and that was that. Good job. Like, I wonder if that's. I, hmm. Because, yeah, I, th- I initially thought, at first I thought it was the Kirkwall tome, like the one that she, that we keep seeing referenced throughout Dragon Age. Oh, no, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the, the, the wiki and it says that is absolutely the same thing that has the authority to restore the Inquisition. That, it, wait, that is the actual one? That is the book. So it was handed, so this movie, I, and I'm going to also like, as far as I understand, this movie is not non-canon. Is so it is supposed to be canon, mm-hmm. but I've got to assume that's a flub because that's the wrong yeah. divine too. Like, yeah. Ugh. Anyways, ugh. like just like the ogres and the golems and Cassandra being this skirt wearing, dual blade wielding, really more of like like she reminded me more of Hawk in Dragon, like a female Hawk in Dragon Age Two, more than like. Cassandra, you know, our, our traditional seeker-type character. You know, the character that we know from Dragon Age Inquisition who's this, like, battle leader who, sword and shield, kind of leads the charge and stuff. Here she's, like, doing sick Matrix flips where she runs up the wall and stuff like that. And it's... It's a bizarre freaking movie, man. Mm. Like, it, it honestly, like it makes this is why i mentioned at the beginning like i think i was too hard on paragon lost because at least paragon lost attempted to like be cool within the canon of mm-hmm. mass effect and like adhere to it and even comment on it like stuff you know stuff like you know making liara sound like a conspiracy theorist and stuff like that mm-hmm. like that that all ends up being interesting in the scheme of things and like yeah. you had mentioned like seeing the collector attack play out in person was really interesting here like i don't feel like i've gained any greater dragon age knowledge and what is here is just like oh sick cassandra really can do those those cool blade jump flips (laughs) neat like i just yeah Hmm. this is really low on the video game movie list for me (laughs) yeah Mm. what like i'm wondering now like I think we've, like, safely moved on past the point where this is something like this is going to happen again in the midst of, like, Bioware's shit. But it's, like, I feel like something that might have been 
like, I'm thinking about like what are possibilities of other Dragon Age movies or like subjects they could have done that maybe would have been like post Inquisition where like they aren't doing like they like where they are trying to make steps in that universe to make like real change and like what characters and plot lines would have been interesting to have seen then and honestly like maybe at this point I still I'm like my brain still says I want to see those in an actual game and not a movie but just like mm-hmm. if it feels like this little this trend like this was like within a year or so of Paragon Lost I believe uh, the Bioware was on like. Maybe for Dragon Age specifically, the series wasn't at a place to have a very interesting tie-in movie. Like, even if it wasn't going to be as, like, any necessarily better in terms of quality, like, in terms of having something that existed in the spaces of those games in ways that could have been interesting, like, told, like, meaningful stories, I'm not sure what it would have been. Like, maybe, like, maybe a movie about, like, the, uh, the Temple of Sacred Ashes, like, before the, uh, explosion that made the breach, like... Mm-hmm. Something like that would have been more interesting than this. Like, if that, that also could, would have been similar to Paragon Lost, and, like, it would have been a very tragic, like, lead-in to something that resulted in a lot of people dying. Um, mm. I, yeah. So, I, I think my answer to this is that, so, we're preparing right now for next week, which is going to be us talking about Mass Effect Annihilation, which is the uh, companion book that explains what happened to the Corian arc prior to Mass Effect Andromeda, and... I'm currently only about like a hundred and so odd pages through it, um, but I've been really enjoying it. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it, because it it's removed enough that it can have these characters and let them breathe and not have them be tied into you know the canonicity of the larger universe and all that. But also, it's exploring these ideas of like you know not to to pull from content that we'll be talking about for our next episode, but it's exploring species interacting in ways and like things that you wouldn't think about normally like oh hey yeah this is this is why drell and corian might have different times difficult uh scenarios working together because of the way their species are or like interspecies hostility between mm. them and like how it's not distinctly not human as well yeah, yeah. Like, oh uh, we, yeah, we're a cannibalizing content <laughs> yeah yeah like, like, suffice to say, I feel like next week we're going to have a lot to talk about because yeah. Annihilation is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, that is more the sort of thing that I would seek out is something like that, that, you know, why even bother trying to tie it into a character or a story that another character has experienced? Like, find some story that you can tell within the universe, but still removed enough that you can kind of create your own world and explore things that the games don't get to again like mass effect is a series where there are always a bunch of humans around so setting it on a ship where there are no humans immediately makes it more interesting mm-hmm. and yeah um that's kind of how i felt about dawn of the seeker is like as much as like i didn't like parts of paragon lost and there were many parts of paragon lost i did not enjoy at least it tries to fit within mass effect canon and inform it in some way whereas here it felt like there wasn't even an attempt to really mm. make this an interesting like i didn't glean any new understanding of cassandra from it right. like at least this one's been gained better. in her own loss yeah 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 it's it's a bummer top to bottom <laughs> and 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 compound on top of all of it that again what we were just talking about with mass effect and how you know like human stories and stuff there is one I guess two non-human characters in the story. <laughs> there yeah. are two elves 
and that's it. And and the elves that they use like are are the Avexis, the small girl, where it feels like her being an elf is at best just a you know a bullet point on her character sheet. Right and at worst a way of being like oh yeah she's an elf kid so she has different magical powers right. and everything it's, it's an othering it's more than yeah. anything and, and yeah and then the other elf character is this informant who's like made to be strange looking in appearance by default who is a recluse and who ends up you know like squealing on everyone and then getting ripped in half by an ogre and yeah <laughs> lot to unpack in all of that otherwise there's like there's no canary there's no dwarves there's no anything and yeah it's profound bummer top to Mm. bottom i think um so i guess that's that's that on dawn of the seeker (laughs) speaking of things that aren't a bummer though yeah yeah no i mean next week we're going to be talking about mass effect annihilation here on norm dfm and we're very excited to do it i mean i I am reading a lot these these last few days for a myriad of reasons, but uh, I'm I think the first night I sat down with that book, I read like the first hundred pages just yep. in a straight shot because it is it's pretty easy to just blow through. And yep. uh, I'm gonna start the audiobook to... soon. Like, and again, y'all are listening. Like, if you are into audiobooks, I do recommend listening to it because it has Tom Tedderson who plays male writer doing the reading, and he's doing all the voices for all the different mm-hmm. species, and it's a very it's, like, not to say, that, like, you know, reading is, reading it is, like, not uh, a decent way to go through it, too, but also I think it, like, really adds a little bit of a, a little more to it, to hear somebody playing, like, playing around with the way that all of those uh, different species speak as well. Oh, for sure. And, like, yeah, I, I imagine, like, the Elcor stuff, I will say, like, on the book side, I'm reading the book of it, and... Uh, surprisingly good writing on some of the stuff like the Elcor and Hanar writing uh, you would think that the way they speak would just get tenuous after a while but they keep it pretty interesting and <laughs> find some fun ways to have fun with those care with those species and, and their distinct oddities and stuff like that again it's I, I highly recommend of all like if you pick one of the external media that we are covering in this brief intermission before the last of us to uh to catch up on i would highly recommend it be this book mm. uh we'll talk more about it next week <laughs> we can't can't just get ahead of ourselves now <laughs> um before before we get on to wrapping this thing up we do have a mild bit of news that we need to cover um there was a story that came out that we were kind of going back and forth on doing a bio blip about um see i knew i was going to do it again uh a bio bit about um i think we eventually decided that we just kind of throw it in here as an additional thing to talk about but basically a new story from bloomberg uh is a report that following the success of jedi fallen order and the failure of anthem electronic arts has allowed bioware to make the next dragon age a single player rpg Previously, it was planned as a service game. That's from Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. Uh, Following up, I'm going to pull open the article. He did have a follow-up tweet where he said, By the way, I should elaborate on one thing. Although some people within Bioware have been pushing for this, as the story says, there are also people at Bioware who very much wanted Dragon Age 4 to be a multiplayer service game. Reality is never as simple as EA wants X, Bioware wants Y. Uh, That being said, there were people within Bioware who did not want it to be a service game wanted it to be 
a single player RPG. Um, I'm scanning the article just to double check that there isn't any more additional information that was included in here. Um, yeah, obviously the success of Jedi Fallen Order, which was a single player Star Wars game from Respawn that did very, very well. Um, and then Anthem, of course, they just closed down any uh, chance of Anthem getting a reboot. It, it will be essentially shutting down. Uh, the change led to the departure. Okay, so the next Dragon Age first entered development in 2015, but in the fall of 2017, EA and Bioware rebooted the game to push for long-term monetization. The change led to the departure of creative director Mike Laidlaw and caused some employees to, dismi to dismiss the game as Anthem with Dragons. EA announced the new Dragon Age in 2018, but has not shared many details since then. Uh, during development, some members of Bioware's leadership fought to pivot the next Dragon Age back to a single-player-only game. According to the people familiar with the discussions, Bioware has also been working on a new game in the sci-fi Mass Effect series, as well as a remaster of the original Mass Effect trilogy. Um, the, new, the team of about 30 people that worked on Anthem Next was told it will now help the next Dragon Age, according to people familiar with the matter. So that's good news. Good news mm. for the Anthem folks. Good news yep. for the future of Dragon Age. You know, mm. Anthem with dragons would not have been <laughs> successful, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. Um, I, real real quick before I bounce yeah. it to you here, Ken, the, the, the takeaway I had was, A, it really sucks that that's what kind of pushed some people out of the company yep. in the first place was that change. And second, I can't help but worry that this is still going to be a bad thing for Dragon Age because you can't just mm -hmm. like, you know, flip flop back and forth between, oh, single player RPG. Oh, never mind. Anthem yep. with dragons. Yeah, oh, exactly. never mind. Back to single player RPG. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, how that. does that affect the development? In right. the wake of like Bloodlines Two, having its development completely halted and shifted to a new studio and all that, like that makes me a little bit concerned. Yeah, that was like one of my follow-up questions was like, how integrated was that stuff into the game that was like, basically mm -hmm. how much are they going to tear out of that game to make that single player RPG? Nothing like I think it's worth it in terms of like what I think the final product will probably be, but like that makes me wonder like time frame like are we is taking all of that out is that going to be like another year? on that game's right. development to get it all kind of like put back together um and i guess we won't really know until we kind of we won't even really get a sense of that until um whenever they actually decide to show it but regardless these decisions seem to have been happening at least maybe in the past couple months i don't like I mean, you know there's something said about maybe like a possible planted story that's like trying to like sow in goodwill towards everything that's coming out of bioware which right. I, right is something like you know to wonder about but I think in the end, like, I'm excited about the prospect of, like, that shift in Bioware, regardless of, like, what it means for Dragon Age 4 specifically, just, like, after all of this shit that has happened with Inquisition, Andromeda, Anthem, that at least, like, some priorities seem to finally be straight, and mm -hmm. if that means, like, you know, completely tearing, like, Dragon Age 4 in half so they can put it back together again, I think that's good in the long run. But, um, it also was, like, a weird thing to, and, like, you know, this is, like, EA is a it's it's a separate company from thing like Sony or Nintendo and but like why is it that you have to like why did you have to wait to for the Star Wars game to do well and for Anthem to just fucking shut the bed? So I understand people want single player fucking games like The Last of Us Part Two launched last year with no multiplayer mode and it's like one of the most successful games of last year. Like Sony and Nintendo 
still very much lean into like the single player experience and make money off of it, and, like sell mm. millions of copies and like have really strong critical reception. Like what? Why? Like maybe like you know in the grand scheme of things, like it might just be a matter of like the monetization scheme. Like do you want something that will get you more money in the long run? And maybe that is that is probably EA's bottom line. That's valid. That's, that they are a business. That is something that they need to be looking out for. But like I don't know. Like I, I was I was just surprised that like. I guess it like continuously surprises me that we have to like have this conversation again all the time. Of, like, oh, a single player game still sell. People still want those. Like, no fucking shit. Like, why? Uh, mm. You know? Do you know why, Ken? Why? So I, I pulled this up. Uh, I searched MPD, uh, MPD tracking, top top games of 2020. Uh, obviously, accounting for the U.S. Uh, and not all of these account for digital sales. That being said. Black Ops Cold War, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Animal Crossing New Horizons, Madden NFL 21, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and then The Last of Us Part 2 comes in. Like, and also on this list, well, uh, one thing from EA about. is like FIFA 21. Uh, there's Marvel's Avengers is on here from Square. There's NBA 2K21. There's, uh, th- those look like the the big ones in terms of like service games i guess if you wanted to count super smash brothers kind of could but it's not really the same but it's also more of a long-running game but also take into account that last of us is that high on the list with only on one platform yes like, i think that's that's like yes. an important context i agree about, like, I, I i agree with you i i totally agree with you yeah. what i'm saying is there are suits and they they go by numbers and this was actually a conversation i was seeing happen recently because there was a comment about like video game publishers stop announcing your games so early just finish them and then put the game like announce the games and say they're coming out like a couple months later and just do mm. it that way and like there there are reasons why that statement is not quite accurate i don't think it's a totally bad sentiment but it is like it does miss the point that these announcements these decisions are being made because these companies are publicly traded you know companies on the stock market they're trying to please investors and to do that you've got to be able to turn around and say that you've got to have the success stories like star wars jedi fallen order where you can be like look at this game like i i wrote a story last year that was about how even though that game came out at the end of the year it sold incredibly well like it sold really really well um i i literally just closed the tab that i was going to use for proof about this damn it (laughs) i'm pulling it up right now um i'm not sure if it made the top of 2020 but i know that it was in some of the higher placings of the month uh for that month and it's you need you need to be able to basically just show them like hey this anthem did bad star wars did good we should do star wars and i know for us that's intensely frustrating because it is it is intensely frustrating i'm not gonna not gonna make excuses for it but you're not talking to people like us you're talking to people who are just like we we put money into this company now when do i get my money back out of it and those are the people you're trying to get and you know and that's all well and fine i guess that's just what's what's curious to me about it is like why did it have to be your success that like determined <laughs> whether fair. or not like that's totally like, fair because like you know like like last of us uncharted god of war ratchet and clank like i'm just, I'm just thinking about sony's like really successful games of the ps4 era like 
You can look at Nintendo too. Like, yeah, and you know, Breath Zelda of the Wild, Mario. like Odyssey, like and that's the thing. It's like you see, like, like you were like EA is like you know the biggest publisher in, in the fucking world, but like you're not the only company that exists. Like you're not the only person you have to gather data from. Like you can look at people that are your quote unquote competitors and like see this entire like narrative that certain companies have had that like single player games don't sell or like are not you know what people want people want these fucking forever games like if you look at exactly one company for that information you're going to get a very specific set of data like i don't feel like that's been that's ever been the truth i don't think like we've ever had like a market that speaks to that i think we've had a couple of companies that have games that they put out every year that have all these live service element bullshit in it and then they think that like they have such tunnel vision on their own numbers they don't bother to look at like the actual trends of what's going on around them to see that, like, you don't, you can invest in things that are not all these fucking gambling, siphoned service I was games. To, I was about to bring up FIFA Ultimate Team and stuff, because I think a lot of it is that EA saw how much money it made in the last generation on FIFA Ultimate Team alone, and was like, cool, we should do more of that. And you can mm-hmm. see that through, like, Madden Ultimate Team and stuff like that. But now, I think... They're, they're reading the tea leaves, so to speak. They're looking at the the legislation that's coming down on gambling elements and loot boxes and stuff like that. And that could be another factor, maybe not outward, you know, not one they're going to publicize, but behind the scenes they're going, oh, right, <laughs> we're going to have problems if we keep making a ton of games with loot boxes and services in them. So maybe we need to start looking at making some of those prestige franchise tie-in games that can really like move boxes and be Mm -hmm. like i got the new star wars game i got the new dragon age game that could be the way forward in this next generation but we will see Mm. overall i'm just i'm happy that it is going to be the game that i think all of us were hoping for and not the game that we were all dreading (laughs) well we're still probably gonna have like the weird fucking new protagonist fighting soulless bullshit so like it's half of what i want uh, yeah, we, one of the things that we were dreading will not be happening, and hopefully it, it, this. I would say like it kind of at least like makes me more confident that the next Mass Effect is going to be something like I give a shit about. Yeah, and in terms of structure, and like hopefully this just doesn't mean like ridiculous hours and stuff for the team that's on it right now, because mm. um, that's really like that's my other takeaway is like you know how do you reverse course on it. And hopefully this means that they will be given the appropriate amount of time and space to make that original vision happen mm. and and make it work. Um, Godspeed, all you developers out there. And good for the Anthem team. Still, yeah. like, they're still employed. They're working. Please stay that way. Yeah. Um, that's going to do it for this week. As always, we are Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Normandy FM. You can go back us if you want to support what we do. If you back at any level, you will get into the Discord. If you back at $5, you'll get early episodes as soon as they're edited. And if you back at a certain level, you also get your name shouted out every week on the podcast. This week, those people are Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, Just Colin, Just, Zach Mickle, The Wedge of Destiny, and Mila High. Thank you so much for backing. Thank you, everyone, for listening, hanging out in the Discord, having a good time. Next week, we will be talking Mass Effect Annihilation. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm sure Ken is very much looking mm-hmm. forward to it, too. We will see you then on Normandy FM. <laughs>